Welcome to Accounting High. I do think about time tracking, though, and I'm, I still think one day I could get away from it. I, I'm not, not ruling it out. I think that you definitely have to have a full – you have to be around for a while. It's kind of like when you make that switch from hourly to fixed fee. When you're doing hourly, when you first start out, you have no idea how long things take. And then you switch to fixed fee, and you're doing different things in different industries. And then as you start to niche, you solidified all the services that you do. And you've done that for many years. And then it's really easy to turn that off. Yeah. You know what? It's Friday at Accounting High. Make varsity, no doubt. Play on, players. Play on. Okay, drop the verse. It's going down, welcome back. Team of coaches are ready to teach promotional price packaging. No doubt, accounting high, put it down. Never about the numbers in accounts. If I could figure that out. Tell me who got hot takes and tips. Attract the teams like Coach Mack did. Pricing, fear patterns, mindset, proactive. Still moving this forward with my homies, Matt, Queen, Dave, Kenji, the original coach trainers. Outsource teams now, good loan. Creating cultures with real owners, wow. Systems for when you're not around. Cover much ground. Stop breathing. Slow down. Getting paid is the only way. Each and every day. Recurring models great. Get ready. Open your mind. Why? Learn and power your firm. Free your time. East side to the west side. Pushing value price at accounting high. We got tips in our bag. Stacking up your cash. Practice with the top of the class. Clients need service because people are the purpose. Lace up, it's like phys ed, it's immersive. Friday at Accounting High, let's begin. Your people are the purpose. Make varsity, it's time to level up. Level up. People are the purpose. Make varsity, it's time to level up. Level up. Your people are the purpose. Make varsity, it's time to level up. Level up. Your people are the purpose. Make varsity. It's time to level up. Lace up. Introducing the star of our show. Nick's McKenzie and Scott Scarano. We're going to have a problem here. Okay, I'll carry the team today. Carry the this is the varsity. Team. I'm on varsity. You're you're on the, you're on the freshman team. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this. Let's let's get into it. We're gonna reprice our pricing conversation. Yeah. So I, I would say that probably most of our listeners have made the switch from hourly to fixed fee billing, value billing, subscription billing, whatever you want to call it. And so when we made that switch to hourly billing, to fixed fee billing, on one side, it makes life really easier. I like, to, I like to think of it as like the front end and the back end, right? Like on the back end, if you're billing by the hour, you have to go do collections and you have to deal with clients complaining about the fees. Now that we don't have to deal with collections anymore or deal with the clients arguing about the fees because we're not billing by the hour anymore, we have to move everything to the front end. So... 
or having those initial conversations with the clients or we're selling them and giving the price before we perform the services. And that's all fine and dandy. But the problem with that is as all of our clients, businesses are growing just like ours, we have to constantly be repricing them. And if you, like at Momentum, we kind of took our eye off the ball for a couple of years, especially with COVID happening. So we're going through the whole process of looking at our entire portfolio of clients again and repricing everybody. So it is something that you have to build into your process. And it's something that you have to have someone on your team that specifically does this as part of the role. It's in their job description. They have to be comfortable doing it too. Yeah. And some people are very uncomfortable repricing. They're always worried about what's the worst that's going to happen. How many clients are going to leave? You know, that, that's the, that's the beginning phases. Once you get comfortable with it and you start doing it and you have a system in place and a process, like we, we did stuff across the board, like take a survey from your team and have them rank your clients and take the clients that are the D level or the poorly rated clients and jack their prices up first to start testing sensitivity among your larger, broader base. Um, you don't have a whole ton of clients, so it's a much more customized approach for you. Yeah. But for somebody that has a lot of clients, that's a, that's a good way to do it. And then go up a level and test the repricing. This way you don't really piss off or annoy your really good clients. I've, I've seen some really cool tactics lately from uh, Brandon Hall. I know Jason Stats talks about it a lot too. And there's, there's just all kinds of good information out there to start thinking about when you reprice your clients. Because yes. I'm about to go through another round of repricing. Well, there's repricing. There's also checking with our clients. So we just did a first round of check-ins and we started actually with our highest value clients first. And some of our clients that we've been hearing from the team that they're some indication that they need more, or there's an issue or we haven't, or we onboarded them three or four months ago and we haven't checked in with them yet. So that's one thing we're incorporating more is that three to four month check-in to say, okay, here's what we sold you on. Now that we've onboarded you, got you cleaned up, got you at a good place. Let's look at what services you're actually using and are there anything, is there anything else that we can do for you? Because typically when you onboard a client, where they actually end up is much different than what they thought they needed. So yeah. there's that initial rescope right after three to four months in. And then from there, it's an ongoing, I would say, six months to a, no more than a year. But depending on the complexity and how fast the client is growing, Some you should at least be months. checking in with the client. Uh, what's that? Some say 18 months is the cycle to finally get into the groove and know everything that you're going to do with a client. Yeah. And maybe that's no, because they use tax time. return years too, and that extends it a bit. Like if you're not dealing with a tax return, but you are because you're preparing a lot of journal entries and clothes yeah. and things. So what, what, for our process for this, basically what I did is I, I created a spreadsheet and said, okay, here's, well, we have a master spreadsheet with all of our, with all the monthly fees for all of our clients. So we just, anytime we get a new client, we put it on there. And so that went through, decided, what's that? Keep up, with, keeping up with a spreadsheet like that. Yeah, that's a master client list. One. You should always have a master uh, client list. God, I used to, but now we feel like the software is supposed to be doing it. And I don't even know where our sheet is. I used to love doing that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, every time you add it. And then we get all of our clients. Anytime we're doing invoicing for a client, we make them do that. Because what we realize is like everything's in their head. And there's just no way to take over invoicing unless they have some sort of master billing sheet that says like how they get paid by each client, what the contract is. So we meet for each client and say, okay, what, this is the first client we want to attack. Meet with the team internally, go through what we're doing for them versus what's actually in scope. Hopefully the team, if something has come up during the course of the engagement that's out of scope, ideally the team is bringing that up to you. 
but sometimes we do find something sneaks in there, right? So we're meeting with the team. It's kind of like, okay, how much of it? Typically, we know which clients are PETAs already, but get a feel for if the team likes working with that client. Look at what we're doing them, compare it to that what's in scope, and then also looking for opportunities for upsell. So asking the team like, hey, is there any, we're not doing payroll for this client. Is there any indication that they would be interested in payroll? Recently, we had a client that, actually a couple of clients that were trying to do, basically it was like, he was trying to project cash flow, but he didn't know how to communicate that to us. So he showed us the spreadsheet on, on the check-in call and we're like, oh, you're looking for a cash flow forecast. We can do that for you. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you ever get the clients that are asking- Well, we've the productized team, a lot of this stuff. So if you've productized it and you know exactly what they need, then all of a sudden you convert their hazy image of my situation is very extra custom and you can't treat me like all your other clients. And I think a lot of times, and the value of these check-in meetings that they're separate than the team that's actually performing the services, because what happens is clients will ask the team for some specific piece of data. And rather than asking, stepping back and saying, "Uh, okay, why do you want that? information, the team will just give it to them. And so when we have these, Ashley and I have the higher level calls where we say, okay, you're asking for this specific set of data. Like, what are you trying to do with it? Oh, I'm trying to track my profitability by department. Oh, okay. So like that gives a lot more insight of, okay, well, now we need to do a, a project where we go back to the beginning of the year and we reallocate all of your expenses to each department. We set up your gusto so the integration comes through, right? So in their head, they're, they're trying to do all this stuff on a spreadsheet by themselves, not realizing that we can do that for them. And so if you don't have these 50,000-foot view of like, what are you actually trying to do here? And you just give the client what they want, they're never going to get to their end goal. So regardless of if you're actually trying to upsell a client on something, you should still be having these check-in meetings with clients to make sure that they're happy. And they've, they've been really good. After you check in with the team, you decide what, sir, what, what the new price is that you want to propose to the client based on yeah. scope changes. Increase could be an increase in volume. Could be that they want the financials earlier in the month. Could be that you want to add on services because yeah. whoever's doing their payroll sucks at it and you want to take it over. Okay. So let's just talk about at least how to identify the clients. So what's, what are some practical ways to identify these and do you do this custom one-to-one or do you say, I'm going to take this service line and do this across the board? I don't know. I mean, I'm just. Mm, ours is custom. I don't think uh, your question was a little bit different, but on, on that same note, increasing your fees across the board it is not, I don't think it's a good idea. It's not advisable. It's not advisable because you have some clients that already have great margin they're great clients and you're just going to piss those clients off and then the clients that are at the very bottom that already are not paying enough it's not going to actually get them to the point where they are paying enough so and, and i'm talking from a cas practice right we don't do taxes it's all outsourced accounting we only have 35 clients we're very embedded in their business so it's it's going to be probably different than a tax practice that could do it across the board price increase and have a significant impact on the business. If you want a, a good book on this, uh, uh, check out James Ashford's book, Untapped. He does really good on that one. He, I love the metaphors. Yes. Love the metaphor of looking at your clients like it's a coal mine and then you're sitting on a diamond mine where it looks like rocks on the outside. That's what a diamond mine is, right? The rocks are below the rocks, actual rocks of diamonds 
are below the surface. So it looks like any other dirty old rock, kind of like your client list. The diamonds are, are in the rough. Yeah, we have, so we just did four of our biggest clients. We have about $3,500 right now and in upsells out the door waiting. We'll see. We just raised our minimum to 1500 and we don't really want to do cash basis accounting more because our whole selling point now is, hey, we're going to take you on this journey. We're going to get you to $1 million to $10 million in revenue. And to get you there, you have to be on a cruel basis because we're going to help you. You're going to get to a point where you need to be able to look forward. In order to look forward, you have to be on a cruel basis. And this is why you have to be on a cruel basis. So for some people, they may think that's too much. You know, this is just a small business. And, and that's fine if you want to file your tax return and for compliance, cash basis is fine. But if you want to grow and get to the next level, then you need to be on a cruel basis. And those are the types of clients that, that we want to work with. Every time I, I do this exercise, yeah. I'm like, man, I, want, I think we can get to 50% profit margin. If we just, all I'm trying to do is focus on profitability and great clients. And I don't care how slow we grow. I just want a good portfolio of clients and I want to be highly profitable. Yeah. So slow you, growth is actually better. It's, it's advisable because I've been doing slow growth for a while. And it's much more intentional. You don't feel like your hair's on fire or things are out of control. You feel very well rested all the time. This is what Chris preaches. is mm -hmm. like keeping things slow, steady, and natural. And it works. So I think a lot of firm owners think that they don't have time to go talk to clients. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of time, right? Like I was telling you about my process of going and talking to the team, then you're talking to the client, and then you're putting the proposal together, then you're following up with the client, then you probably have to have another call with them. It takes a lot of time. So think about invest. So Ashley is way better at this than I am, because if I would do the pricing, we'd be making half the money that, that we do. She's way more aggressive on it. And it's probably because I'm the firm owner, right? I have more, it's a mindset change of, oh my God, we might lose this client or we might piss them off. And she doesn't so, have that. Yeah, it, I'm, with, I'm in the Ash camp, Ashley. But Well, it's like um, when you go to the car dealership, right? It's, you have the salesperson and they always have to go back into the other room and check. And so you can always pull that card. Whoever's talking to the client, say, oh, I got to go check with Scott and make sure. I love that. Um, yeah. So there is Definitely. that. Uh, I gotta go check to see if we can lower the amount for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they feel like you're doing a deal for them. I can't do it when I'm alone. Like if I give somebody a price, I don't ever lower it because then what the f is my word worth? If I've given them a price and then they can talk me down in the beginning, they're always going to talk me down. Right. And that's why the go proposal is nice, which is what we use, because you can always go back to and say, mm, well, we can't really lower the price unless we reduce the scope or change something here you know we, we move back your financial to the last month or you know we take out bill pay or whatever it is so you're not actually arguing on price you're just arguing on scope my point is with that is it may be worth the cost of hiring somebody to depending on how big your firm is that can just do repricing because if you hire that person for let's say $10,000 a month, which would even be high. I'm sure you get someone for much less than that for, for simple math. If someone costs $10,000 a month, but you think you can go capture more than $10,000 a Let's month. Let's not oversimplify this. It's hard to find somebody like that. Like you found, you found, you were lucky to find Ashley because she was trained well from her prior firm too. But imagine, you know, I mean, it's, I'm sure you can find somebody, but it's not that easy. Like how do you, how do you one, how does one go about trying to find the employee that could manage those things. What is that job role called? Client success. 
client success. Because so, I think, like I said, even if you're not repricing, you don't always want to be repricing clients when you check in with them, right? Because then they're never gonna, they're never going to take your meeting. So there should be someone consistently checking in with clients, making sure they're happy, giving feedback to the team, making sure you're continually improving your services. Even if you're not charging more, you should still be adding more value over time. Going back to how do you find somebody like that? Is it a standard role? Like client success, I feel like I made up. Because when I say it, a lot of people don't. And when I say I made up, I feel like our industry is using it now, but hasn't traditionally. And maybe it comes from another industry that they ported it over. I mean, I do see Carbon using it in articles. I, I see it here and there, but that's because I use it too. Technology companies do that, right? You have okay. an account manager, or customer success person. And I think that because we're on subscription billing, right, our industry is beginning to look more like technology company. The problem is every industry is going to a lot of firms don't have enough customers or they don't think they have enough customers. So sometimes it's not always a full time position. It may be carved out piece of somebody else's position, but it does need to be in somebody's job description and there does need to be a process for it. I was just listening to Ron Baker. I've been listening. He just came up in the last few podcasts I have. I respect Ron Baker. I would just feel like everybody who interviews him does not question him on things. I respect him. I think he's done a lot for the industry. But there are just a lot of gaping holes in his theories that I would like to just question him on. By the time I go back to hearing him, he reignites my passion for certain topics. Like I stopped tracking time or I started tracking time. And now, re-listening to my episode with him, I'm like, do I really even need to track time anymore? Like, am I really using this data? Is it, is it that important? And and I got I to gotta go back to the reason why I tracked it and see how important that is, measuring profitability by client. Am I even doing that? And that's, that's the whole, right, is, okay, if we're going to take away time tracking, what alternatives do we have then to make decisions about who are this is best. why you're not going to be on the episode because I just want to talk about subscriptions. <laughs> I don't want to talk about time again ever. I was just listening to a pod. I just literally right before I talked to you is like Alvon Baker, um, another one on subscription. But I saw his presentation of subscription at AICPA Engage last year. But it's funny because he uses Summit CPA Group as his example. Yeah, and they for track subscription. Time. They track time and they basically do pretty much what we do. So They're basically doing everything. Maybe I'm already doing price. subscription. I don't we know. are already doing subscriptions. <laughs> he needs to stop using them because they track time. And that is a dogma for him. Or that's like a, you're crossing the streams here. If you're going to use somebody as an example for one thing, they do have to embody everything else that you've been teaching your whole life. And if they don't, then what the f Are you the charlatan? Is what I'm going to say. Well, he's also, he has to keep coming up with new stuff right to stay relevant so i think it's a different spin on the same thing in a way oh i i want him to be the headmaster of accounting high i want him to be the professor <laughs> and to teach everybody i'm gonna i'm gonna approach him with this idea for at accounting high i want him to be the lead professor or lead faculty he's actually a perfect professor because professors are all theory yes he's gonna be he's gonna be perfect <laughs> and you know what's funny is i hate theory I do think about time tracking though, and I'm, I still think one day I could get away from it. 
I'm not not ruling it out. I think that you definitely have to have a full. You have to be around for a while. It's kind of like when you make that switch from hourly to fixed fee. When you're doing hourly, when you first start out, you have no idea how long things take, and then you switch to fixed fee, and you're doing different things in different industries. And then as you start to niche, you solidified all the services that you do, oh, and good. you've done them for many years. And then it's really easy to turn that off. And I think that like. We're just not quite there yet, but we could be in two, three, four years. I agree. It's take some patience and perspective. When you reprice, you have like you have more money. You have so much more money. You're doing the same amount of work. And it's it's the road to being more profitable. Where's your profitability? How about your numbers, Nicole? Yeah, last month I was at forty percent. Forty percent. That's a good. That's a good profitable um, firm right there. You've always been very high profitability. You didn't go through those ebbs and flows like me. Yeah, well, we've always grown slowly. We've cycled out bad clients, and we've just really focused on, I mean, we're always checking in with the team on what clients they don't like. And because we're small, we have a good pulse on, even though we we do track time, I mean, there's a lot of other indicators, like how many emails do clients send us. We We can tell which clients are PETAs and what take up a lot of resources. I got our Carbon Practice Excellence scorecard back today, and I have some interesting data. I am a 83% a Magic Quadrant leader, according so, to their data. Here's the thing. All of the KPIs, like when you're trying to do benchmarking, it's so subjective because it's like you're looking, you're looking at gross profit margin. Who do you include in gross profit margin? you're looking at net profit, does that include before or after owner salary? How much do you pay yourself? What's a full-time employee? What's a part-time employee? There's so many different nuances yes. that can... I've tried to boil that down, but what they do is they don't ask a lot of that stuff. They ask revenue per employee. They ask the easy ones. They don't go deep into all this for their survey or their KPI or metric. I know what you're talking about, you know, because I always ask those questions too, and then nobody specifies. They just kind of say their margin. And I got those categories like lined up differently now for when I ask and I try to be specific. We can yeah. Develop our I mean, the, the real question is like, what do you take on as the owner? Wages, pleasure, style. That's what I do when I create dashboards for my clients. I pull out all of their, you know, if they pay rent for themselves, their wages, their health insurance, their SEP contributions, their draws. And I say, here's everything that you took home. Pull that's out what the they owner's care about. discretion amount. And that's the margin that you use. And that's what I use across the board. Yeah. So I think you're right, but nobody really talks about margins. Even at most episodes, when I ask people, they don't even want to talk about it because they're worried their employees are going to hear it. Yeah. And they're worried that anybody's going to hear. It. So either they're worried that they made too much, or that they didn't make enough, and they're shy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's never just here's my <laughs> numbers. Like, That's like when I went to the mattress store, and like the sales guy was like, "Yeah, you know, most people the mattress is either too hard or too soft." They were like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> goldilocks that's you you are mrs goldilocks i just gotta yeah I, that's what mike calls me princess in the p princess in the p yeah. yeah you still are on the mattress journey you're gonna be on that journey for your whole now life. i need a new pillow because the mattress changed oh it's so annoying it's like when you're a girl and you have to like change your clothes so you have to change your bra and like your underwear depending on what you're wearing it's the whole it's the whole thing yeah i mean i i can kind of agree because I'm all my clothes have to match and if I change one thing then I have to change everything it's like an OCD thing now it's it's really bad I have to change my watch band depending on the color shirt that I'm wearing you get it's it so let's uh let's let's reel this back 
reel this into repricing? It's Ooh. easier to sell to your existing clients than it is to new clients, to get new clients. Yes. And if you have great clients that appreciate what you do, your team likes working with them, why would you not go out and sell them more services rather than hire or than onboard a new client? But uh, like there also is a sweet spot or realizing is you almost don't want to go too high, right? For us, okay, this is because we're outsourced accounting. And so when we get to that like seven, eight, nine thousand dollar a month range, then the trade-off is do we hire an in-house accountant? So there's and also there's a lot a little more concentration risk on our side. So we're finding that like five, six thousand dollars a month is at least for right now is the max that we want to be. So I think you always have to be careful about that. I like that. You know, in any case, you're always risking phasing yourself out and then saying, what else is out there? Like the second somebody decides to question the price, then they start looking at what else is out there. And then they realize, I mean, it, honestly, if you're secure in what you're offering, it doesn't matter, but you're going to risk losing a client by pricing it too high, inevitably. Yeah. And if it's somebody you don't want to risk losing, then how do you price profitably and effectively without driving them away? Like there is no, this is the hardest thing about our profession is there really is no clean metric to barometer price. And that's, that's the fear that I have with what Ron Baker does is he makes you think sky's the limit, but it's really not for some of the basic stuff. He makes you think you could price this however you want. And I've gone in with the confidence of, of, repricing everybody across the board and it works out very well the end result is great this whole 80 20 principle really works yeah but if you start doing it slowly then you really do start to second question every little thing you do because you keep attaching it to your emotions and how you feel about and you're only remembering like the closest one but i i must agree that some of the broader sweeps that i did and changes that i made as a result of listening to his theories have worked out very well. I don't shake my hand and fist, but whenever I slow things down and then try to look at it individually, that's when I'm like, I need a fixed price. I can't just keep value pricing because it's not scalable. Now at this point it's not scalable. And I think if it's a fixed position based on if this, then that just like the, um, the algorithm in go proposal, mm -hmm. if you really do have a stronghold on, how you're pricing it and you only use certain factors to change things, then we're going to get back to a more decentralized approach where anybody Scott, can I'm, use that. Every episode I've listened to is I just wait for you to use that episode. I don't think there's been one episode you haven't used decentralized. And you know who brought that into my brain is the guy who wrote Untapped. Yeah. You know, I thought it was funny and, and I didn't realize this. So James's whole thing is that your employees, if you had a 20 person firm, your employees should be upselling the clients and, or acknowledging when the scope changes and sending them a proposal. That's crazy. That's exactly what I mean when I say decentralized. decentralized. Every time I've said it, yeah. every time I've said it, I'm talking about that. Isn't yeah. that nuts? Like you could be repricing all year round. I mean, can you imagine the impact that would have if everyone on your team had the power to send out a new proposal to the client? I mean, that would be chaotic. I, I can't imagine, but I, it really not got me would, thinking about really. that. If they can manage the relationship and they can manage the no's and yeses and they understand the value that they're bringing, that's not chaotic at all because they can handle each individual case. Yeah. I'm well, ready for that. I think that gets back to 
niching, right? And everyone talks about that, but that is true because if you have a set a set of services that you provide for a certain industry, it's way easier to delegate that to the team versus if you're working with clients in cannabis or have inventory or have or professional service, like how do you price that stuff? It's, it's pretty difficult. Yeah, I know. So how do you standardize it? You start focusing first. It, this is, comes in phases, right? So the pillars of a firm comes in phases. You notice how I, do, I had to throw another P in there because phases is a P. Doesn't sound like a P. But it's a PH. Phases of changes of your firm have to start from within. Start with your why. Start with, so from the inside, start with the clients that you like helping, the clients that your team likes helping. I was also thinking about pricing clients based on a percentage of their revenue. Why can't you work backwards from that? We And, like, uh... and say, this is how we do it across the board and find the right percentage of whatever it is, and then you help a client grow. Well, I thought about that too, you know, going back to the subscription pricing that, that Ron Baker's talking about. Like you could do that as as a way to price and say, hey, we're gonna take a percentage of your revenue and you're gonna get all of these things. I like that. Then you help them get to a million and you want them to, because they're gonna pay you more. And as they phase up and scale up, they hit certain milestones and you already know which milestones they're going to hit and how you can help them. And if yeah. you, if you created the right percentage, then you scale with them across your entire client base. Right. I think there'd have to be like a max because there's always, there's also like to your point about Ron Baker saying, you know, charge this crazy amount, which is all great in theory, but that's assuming there's no other competition in the marketplace or they can't hire an in-house person, which I think a lot of the times we add more value than an in-house person would so that's um, how you sell it. And not everybody's going to say yes. To right. That. Right. But, and that, and that's getting, again, that takes experience. It takes rep, building reputation. Yeah. It takes having a niche. Prestige. Yes. Prestige. And that's, it takes I think, having where we that regal be. prestige. Yeah. That's where I want to be. Prestige where you're just like, hey, dude, like, we're not a Ford. We're a Ferrari. Everybody's happy when they do and they can't afford the Ferrari and they're proud that they paid that much. Yeah. The people who have the expensive cars love to parade that around and think about it the ones that can't afford this premium offering they're going to flaunt it around to their friends that can't afford too and the ones that can are going to take notice and they're going to flock to you too i wonder if there's a way how could you do that with our services where they could parade the fact that they came to momentum and so they're paying way more money influencers online social influencers. that's how you start with it you find the influencers of the industry whatever industry it is mm -hmm. you take those influencers and have them flaunt how much they paid on a post or whatever it is they could talk about that and then the ones that follow them that are in that industry you know that's that's just how it starts that's like influencers are, is now the it the in way to market and promote for me at least i would think like only because i'm trying to sell that too as far as ads go and everything else but People aren't really searching for what they need these days. They're finding it and it's handed to them and it's told to them through Instagram, through Instagram is going to be the hot market to hit for whatever it is too. I, I think there's, there's a lot of power in Instagram. There's a lot of power in maybe TikTok to a degree. I'm, I'm not sure if I've understood that yet, but people are just delivered what they think, what they should think. You know, we're told this. 
based on the good algorithms. I love to be told what I should buy and think. If I'm not told, then I, I second guess and I question everything. I want somebody to tell me what I should do because if I made up the decision, I don't think I, it's a good one. <laughs> you don't trust yourself. They know best, right? I just don't put my head in there if I don't want to spend any money. But if I do, dude, definitely all those feeds know best and they know me best. So I think that's the way to market to the future generation of clients, the Gen Zers. So, ones. okay. So we need to find influencers in the industry that we want to work with. Yes. Okay, so I'm on that's the right one track of them. That's one of the ways. The influencers and the software. you got to get connected with the software of that industry because they attract the best clients too. So, you know, for us, whatever industry it is, we look at, like, because I've been looking at the therapy thing, the group practices, they use Therapy Notes and Theranest. Those are the two, and they integrate pretty well, but you don't really need the integration. Actually, the integrations suck for both of them. But we know the software. We know how it works. We know what we need. And if we could align with one of those, it, would, it doesn't have to be that. It can be any industry. But you look at the software, start with the directory of like Zero and QuickBooks apps and find which of the softwares in your industry are really popular. A lot of people are using. And then start looking at the broader market and then start looking at um, you know what kind of content those softwares are putting out. And try to align yeah, with them. Yeah, getting immersed. Right I think person. networking in that industry, going to those so, conferences. So my idea for the next podcast is going to be the podcast for that industry, but I want to partner with one of the premium influencers or somebody that's a thought leader. And it might not be the first person I find, but the next one or the next one, and then find somebody that would be a good podcast partner. And this could even be for the Merged Momentum brand too. And then you <coughs> no, have somebody that's from that industry that's already speaking to people in that industry, and then you also become a finance authority or somebody that could bring value. You got to be able to add value and then you slowly grow an audience and then you charge those premium prices and that's the ticket out of here. Yeah. That's what we're doing right now where we just were on a podcast of a lady that's pretty well known in the agency space. So she's forming a kind of like inner circle of professional service providers that will work with agencies and then we're going to refer back and forth to each other. So what kind of agencies? Um, Marketing agencies, digital agencies, creative yeah, agencies, whatever creatives. you want to call them. Yeah, so you yeah. can follow Jody's lead on that too. Yeah, I know it's they funny. They like to spend that money. It's funny how you kind of like, um, well, I think because we offer the same services, right? You end up in the same spot. You start to realize what clients are the most profitable so that's also why and ideal and like are practices. growing quickly. And so it was like, because I've always been full outsourced accounting, that's always what I've liked doing and I haven't done taxes um, it just, that's just where the path took me. And it just happened to, to be that, that other firms that look like ours are also on that same path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once you start getting exposed to the ones that are like you, well, cause even, even the group practices, they're very much like professional services. That was a traditionally speaking, a, a market with just a bunch of solo practitioners that nobody wanted to work with because they cloud it. But then the ones that are operating virtually and meeting with clients and scaling to a large degree are doing things very similar to us. So they're hiring people that are solo practitioners that didn't want to grow or didn't want to sell or do anything. And then they become part of their firm and their larger firm. They're meeting with clients virtually. They're operating in multiple states. They're managing outsourced teams of people that are working from home. And their margins are pretty good. What's the new niche you're going after as therapists? How did you choose that one? Because... 
uh, we had a few already that were doing very well. And we saw the model and one of them just recently sold. And we said, if we could see somebody through from beginning to end, like we did her and she sold for 10 million, she had a only about $2 million practice. Wow. Now it wasn't full 10 cash. She got five cash. She wasn't even quite at 2 million yet. She got five cash. And then she got a five times multiplier. Another 5 million in, um, in stock or equity options in the company that bought her and they're expanding nationwide. They're buying up these group practices. Okay. So these are group practices where she owns it, but she has therapists that work for her. Yeah, but it's pretty localized for her. She didn't know she had some virtual, but not that much. It's just a large enough practice. And this private equity money is, is big. People who have problems will keep coming back. Yeah. <laughs> recurring revenue, man. It's recurring revenue. Everybody comes back and as long as they, you know, it's, but it's, but it's all the problems that we have. It's all the hiring the right people, finding the right people that you could scale with and keeping up with the systems and constantly reviewing and reviewing. I mean, for them, pricing is easier, I think, to a degree. Yeah. Because the market kind of dictates that and insurance. So, you know, it's, it's dealing with all the insurance companies and dealing with the medical billing. Those, some of them have to do that. Some of them don't, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty And they're all doing, um, again, the point where they can do everything online now. So there's no need for a physical location. They can find more people. They can market in different ways. So we just, somebody just found us through my Growbots marketing and they were ready to pay us five grand a month. Like, whoa, okay, wait, how long you been, you started using Growbots last year, right? No, earlier this year. Okay. So tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. We could uh, table that and talk about it later, but it's um, yeah. I mean, we got no good leads out of it except for this one that we just got recently. All you need is one. All you need is one to prove the model and to start making it more focused. And so this, they're in Santa Monica They're They've got five locations they operate out of. They have employees in five different States and then they have three States that they report to. Um, they're on Gusto already. They're on QuickBooks Online. Um, they, we've been getting some pretty good leads lately that I've had to, like this one I'm, I'm slow playing because they're not in a huge rush, but they somebody marketed to them that they were supposed to be like super experts and they're just undelivered. They're under-promised, over-promised, under-delivered. So they've lost trust in them. What industry? So, it's like group, group psychiatry. Oh, you got it. I love when those like perfect clients come come in it's so exciting yeah, they find you but i haven't really been making that many that much of an effort um, and it could be any industry but it's all you have to do is is be a face on there nobody claims ownership of that even if jody's already got creatives i love the idea of creatives because i'm a creative in, at heart you've got a good repricing success story that i mean so we'll, we'll take this away with you did take a client from 500 to how many thousand per month did they pay you Twenty thousand. Oh gosh. Yeah. That client's hopefully going to sell pretty soon. And then we're going to have to basically reset everything because they've got pays between 20 and 25 a month. But that's my question for Jerron Baker is like, uh, there's no way in hell we would have known. I mean, that it's constantly um, you know, changing and you're getting more embedded in the business and you're helping more, you're providing more value. Of course, they're going to continue to pay more over time and your role has changed. So 
It's highly customized, though. Highly customized, yeah. So it's a different. It, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens when that client goes away because it's definitely going to change the the firm dynamic, right? Because it, it's never good to have a client that big, but they've been profitable for us for a, a while, and things are going to change soon. Fortunately, that's going to go away, but we'll uh, hopefully find another half of that whale. Yeah. So, Nick's tips. Stay tuned for more on our accounting guy journeys in accounting guy. Peace out. Peace. Yeah, you know what? It's Friday at Accounting High. Make varsity, no doubt. Play on, players. Play on. Okay, drop the verse. It's going down, welcome back. Team of coaches are ready to teach promotional price packaging. No doubt, accounting high, put it down. Never about the numbers in accounts, if I can figure that out. Tell me who got hot takes and tips. Attracted teams like Coach Mack did. Price and fear patterns, mindsets, proactive. Still moving this forward with my homies Matt, Queen, Dave, Kenji, the original coach trainers. Outsource teams now, good luck. Creating cultures with real owners, wow. Systems for when you're not around Cover much ground Stop breathing, slow down Getting paid is the only way Each and every day Recurring models great Get ready, open your mind Why? Learn and power your firm Free your time East side to the west side Pushing value price at accounting high We got tips in our bag Stacking up your cash Practice with the top of the class Clients need service because people are the purpose. Lace up, it's like phys ed, it's immersive. Friday at Accounting High, let's begin. Your people are the purpose. Make varsity, it's time to level up. Level up. People are the purpose. Make varsity, it's time to level up. Level up. Your people are the purpose. Make varsity, it's time to level up. Level up. Your people are the purpose. Make varsity. It's time to level up. Lace up.